Welcome back to Nosebleeds. This is WFUV's best, if only, baseball podcast. I am joined by two excellent baseball gentlemen, gentlemen and scholars by the name of Brian Raybacks and Nicholas Guzman. Of course, we will be your baseball gurus for today as we have not had an episode of Nosebleeds in over a month. One could call this a new season, but more of like a, um, a winter check-in before we get into all the things that you missed over the last month. I want to see how Nick and Brian are thinking of the offseason so far. It's been an incredibly exciting one. You know, believe it or not, this is only my second ever appearance on Nosebleeds. Ever. It's a little hard as to well. believe. Ever. I as well. Ever. There was one over the summer, and then there's one right now. So what better time for a second ever appearance with a lot happening this offseason between Soto, Otani, and... Where's Yamamoto going to go? Still a lot to discuss, but I'm excited to be here. And this is going to be my last WFUV appearance before I leave. Oh, don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. Oh, the the final send-off. Oh, we got to make this a good episode. Yeah, a lot of pressure. Come on, but I'll tell you what. I'm really excited to be sitting across from Nick Palmer today, given that the way that he's kind of taken in the offseason, that – He's gotten the judge, or not the judge, the, the Soto stuff for the Yanks. And then over the weekend, he gets Otani because he likes both of those teams because he's I do California, and he somehow gets blessed with supporting the two like most successful teams in Major League Baseball. So whatever, those teams have done really well so far. <laughs> the Yankees certainly have. I have their hat on right now for anyone listening and can't see a visual, but... Yeah, I mean, this we had to bring nosebleeds back. There's been too many uh, big transactions over the last couple of weeks or so that we haven't gotten a chance to cover, but now today's the chance for us to do it. So why don't we get into everything? I'm excited. All right, I'm excited as well. So I think we should start where we left off. If you can believe it, our last episode was on November 8th. That was following the Texas Rangers Winning it all in just dominant fashion, I was really impressed by how they played. And the Diamondbacks turning out to be the frauds that we thought they were. No, just kidding. Um, ben Oppenheimer, if you're listening, how you doing? Uh, let's start with November 17th. That seems like a good date to start because on that day, Yamamoto uh, entered the negotiating window. And on that same day, Jake Bowers is acquired by the Milwaukee Brewers. For minor league outfielders, uh, Jay Savina and Brian Sanchez, Jeff Passon broke that story. Are you guys going to miss Jake Bowers? What can we what can we assess from Jake Bowers' tenure as a Yankee? I'm gonna I'm gonna miss the, the rake. Like, yeah, I I don't know. I weirdly like just started liking Jake Bowers as the season went on, and I don't know. I guess it's sad seeing him go, but. It's not gonna do. It's not, it doesn't really move the needle for me. Believe it or not, him going to Milwaukee, especially given what the Yankees have done since then, I, I'm not putting much stock in it. He did fine as a Yankee, but I don't have a lot to say on it. To be honest, like sorry, he he had an oh, he had some pop once in a while, but I don't know. So Jake Bowers is gonna be one of those remember when players. He like, is. You're so right. 75, 80 games, and he's going to be that. If you ever want to do niche trivia in about 10 years, Jake Bowers from the 2023 New York Yankees. That's going to be a great sporkle answer. It's going to be an awesome answer. Mm. 
Excellent. So that's, sort of, that's sort of the space that he's occupying in my brain right now, especially considering what the Yankees have just gone on to do. Wish him the best of luck, but it's going to be a trivia question in 10 years. To, to me, Jake Bowers is like a lesser story of what happened with Matt Carpenter. Like Jake Bowers had his streaks where we were like, oh, this guy can actually hit. Um, Matt Carpenter was a freak story all onto its own, but it feels like Jake Bowers will be remembered similarly as someone be like, oh yeah, remember when that guy was on our team and yeah, he was all right, whatever. Um, so yeah, that that's, we will miss you Jake Bowers, but not too much as we have some better outfielders. Now that's just sort of foreshadowing. Let's skip two days later. The Phillies re-sign Aaron Nola on a seven-year $172 million contract. Aaron Nola, just one of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, Phillies relock him up. How big is that for the Phillies trying to make another World Series appearance? It's absolutely huge because Aaron Nola is one of these rare pitchers these days where I don't want to jinx anything, but he's always healthy and he's always starting 30-plus games for the Phillies and eating up innings. And, you know, I think you would think that from what you know, that first se- the first couple seasons he had with Philadelphia, I think it was 2018, where he had that that low two ERA, where he was in the Cy Young conversation. Um, I, th- I believe he finished top three, but you thought kind of after that that Aaron Nola was going to be this guy who maybe could have that low two ERA consistently and be in uh, the ace of this Philly staff. It is Zach Wheeler who's the ace, but when you think about uh, a guy like Aaron Nola who starts that many games and eats that many innings, even if he hasn't quite panned out to be the total stud that you would have wanted, you know, those guys don't grow on trees. We're going to pitch, you know, the amount of innings that he does at the, at the quality level. I mean, listen, if you look at some of the years he's had, he's done very well for himself over his time in Philly. And he has shown flashes of being that stud with ACE caliber stuff. Now, obviously Zach Wheeler kind of has his name cemented at the top of that rotation, but I mean, Aaron Nola, they're putting a lot of a lot of stock in him. A little seven years, $172 million. That was, and it was kind of a early signing. They got it out of the way because the Phillies were possibly trying to do some other things in the offseason. Now, those haven't happened yet. But Aaron Nola, I mean, listen, not coming off of the 2023 season that I'm sure he would have wanted. But listen, you look at what he has meant to this staff and then also look at some of the things he's been able to do in the postseason as well. And I think that the Phillies wanted to lock him up. They want him to stay. And obviously he didn't want to go anywhere. So seven years, 172 for Nola. I think Phillies fans will take it and then hope he can continue to show more signs of improvement as the years go on. I absolutely think that's correct. And, you know, over the following week, we saw the Cardinals make a lot of moves specifically trying to bolster their pitching staff. Obviously, Sonny Gray, who's coming off an excellent year, agrees to a deal with the Cardinals, as well as Lance Lynn. So that's some veteran pitching in there. And Kyle Gibson. These are the Cardinals trying to make up for what was a disaster of a season last year. I think people had a lot higher expectations for them. What do you guys think that adding veterans like Gray, who came off a successful year, Lance Lynn less so uh, with his stint with the Dodgers and the White Sox, what do you guys think of these additions for the Cardinals? Well, Sonny Gray has been successful in every single place he's gone except for New York. So I think it's it's fair to say he's a you know he's a really good pitcher. And when you think about what happened last season for St. Louis, 
you know, a team that really had NL Central aspirations to win that title and to go far in the postseason. And it just never panned out that way. I think adding veteran pitching is exactly what you need if you want to get back on your perch and back to the Cardinal way. And I think Sonny Gray's season last year little flew under the radar just a little bit. Like he did finish second in Cy Young voting. And yes, he was recognized. When you're pitching in Minnesota, you know, you don't necessarily pay attention all that much all the time. But I think for Sonny Gray, having that under three ERA and being sort of just coming into his own after what happened in New York, you know, that was way back in like 2017, 2018 now. But really he's righted the ship since then and is going to be really a linchpin in this in this St. Louis staff. Yeah, I mean, it's a good signing for for St. Louis. Now, they made a couple other, like, under-the-radar moves where I don't know how good their rotation is outside of the top of things. But I think Sonny Gray, coming off of the season he had, he knew he was going to garner some interest in the free agent market. And I think St. Louis is a good fit for him. I think he can now slide right in at the top of that rotation. And also, St. Louis fans, they love their players, so... He doesn't have to necessarily deal with the pressure of New York fans and all the stuff that they give him. He'll do just fine in St. Louis. I think that the Cardinals, if they really want to rebound, they should have done a better job in targeting higher-end pitchers to fill out the rest of that rotation. But I digress. They get a Cy Young finalist in Sonny Gray. So you get they're, tr- they're trying, and they're trying to go for an, an NL Central that – is can kind of be wide open by the end of things. So the Cardinals making moves, but I think there's still room for improvement over there in St. Louis. Now, after that sort of sweep through the St. Louis pitching staff, we started to get the uh, the rumblings of the Juan Soto deal. But there were some there were some waves to be made in Yankee Land first beforehand. Severino opts not to go back with the Yankees, but instead is now a Met in Queens. He agreed with the Mets on Wednesday, November 29th, to a one-year $13 million contract. Now, he was a guy who the Yankees brought up through their system. He was one of the few guys who the Yankees stuck with. Now he is on the other side of town. Are you guys going to miss Severino? Do you think the Yankees are making a mistake by not going after him? What do you guys think? I mean, you go ahead, I bro. think that Severino, obviously the Yankee tenure didn't end the way that he would have liked it to. And Yankee fans, I mean, watching him perform at times in 2023, it was unwatchable. He, You literally could make the case he was the worst starting pitcher in Major League Baseball in that stretch of like July and August where he was just getting absolutely lit up every time he took the mound. Did kind of get better at the end of things, though, and then had the injury to end the season. So he gets a one-year prove-it deal with the Mets, and obviously we know the stuff that this guy has. He has ace-caliber stuff where he's got a really, really sharp fastball and some really nasty off-speed pitches, too. But just weirdly, last year, it just all wasn't coming together. So the Mets could either get a bounce-back version of Severino, where he's pitched in New York before, and obviously is no stranger to it, but it also could just be another, like, yeah, maybe he just ends up being washed up in that Mets rotation and he has an okay year. I don't I don't really know, certainly. I just think that the way his tenure ended with the Yankees, given what he gave earlier on, was disappointing, but 
you know, he got decent money. He got a one-year deal. He's got a chance to prove himself. So, Nick, I'm sure as a Mets reporter, you'll have a, you'll get to you'll be very interested seeing him in Queens this year and seeing what he brings to that rotation. Yeah, it's all about the upside. You know, when you think about what Severino could be at his best with the the great stuff that he has. Obviously, we didn't see that last year. As you mentioned, Brian, it was really hard to watch him pitch sometimes. But I think if the Mets are banking on Severino to be a, a like a real key piece in this rotation, that's probably a problem just because of how you don't know. You really don't know. He could come out in the spring and really be firing and feeling like himself and maybe just a change of scenery is what was necessary. But it also could be a thing where maybe this is just who he is now. And if it is, then it's a one-year deal and – and you're and you're out after after just the year and 13 million dollars but you know if he does somehow recapture that form then you have another solid piece of your rotation I'm not saying it has to be like 2018 Luis Severino but just something that was maybe in between that and 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 what we saw last season and he could fit in very nicely at the back end of this Mets rotation so Severino goes and between the Yankees and the Red Sox we see a very rare trade it sends Alex Verdugo who was despised by Yankees fans. I think that's a fair thing to say. Uh, Heading to New York from Boston, of course, for Verdugo, we saw Richard Fitz, Fordham Ram, Greg Weiser. That's a, I was kind of sad to see him go. His dad actually liked a couple of my tweets about Greg Weiser and uh, Nicholas Judas. And man, whoever saw Verdugo coming to New York, I certainly didn't have that on my bingo card, you guys. I I don't know. Verdugo seems like a guy that fits the Yankee mold pretty nicely. And I think we found out more as the kind of weeks went on and we got more information from Brian Cashman that they wanted to add not one left-handed bat, but two left-handed bats and particularly outfielders. So Verdugo was that first domino to fall. I think it's a weird trade for the Red Sox just because you look at Verdugo as one of the main pieces in the Mookie Betts trade. And now, essentially, you flipped Verdugo for Greg Weissert. Like, so, like, is that the return that you're getting for Mookie Betts? Like, it's it puts the Mookie trade just in a very weird, weird spot. But I digress. That was pre-Craig Breslow, whatever. For the Yankees, listen... It's a left-handed bat. It's a guy with good bat-to-ball skills, and he can play good defense. So they've struggled to find any sort of answer in left field for the last God knows how many years since Brett Gardner left. But, like, hey, this is it. You have a guy who plays with a lot of fire. There's a couple character issues that may have been a reason the Red Sox wanted to ship him out that are concerning the back of your head. But overall, he can round out this Yankee lineup really nicely, and I'm excited for him and the other addition coming to the Yankees, who I'm sure we'll get to later. But Verdugo, I think, can provide a lot of fun in pinstripes in 2024. Yeah, I think if you're a Red Sox fan, you think about this trade, like you were mentioning, Brian, if you think about this trade for too long and where the pieces came from previously, and you go back to Mookie Betts, and then you're thinking, okay, is this really is this really all we got for him? Because I think Alex Verdugo for the Yankees just – it was clear they needed multiple outfielders and they've got multiple outfielders. We're going to touch on Soto in a second, but I think it's a, it's a little bit of an under, I wouldn't say underrated move because I think everyone's on the same page. The Yankees sort of won this deal considering what the Red Sox got in return, but 
it's a solid contact bat. You know, Verdugo's not a guy who's going to hit 20 home runs. He's, I think his career high is around 15 or so, but he's going to get his bat on the ball. And for the Yankees, they've just struggled for sort of any kind of consistency in that left field position for a long time now. And even if Alex Verdugo, you know, last season, I think he was in the two sixties before that, you know, I think he was 300 in that first year in Boston. But when you think about what the Yankees needs are in the outfield, he just fits the mold very well. And then you think about what they gave up in terms of Greg Weissert and then some other pieces. It's not, it's not a huge haul for Boston. So I think for a Yankees fan, it's a really nice supplement, even though this move happened first. It's a nice, it's a nice compliment to the Soto trade. I think we were all sitting there on December 5th, seeing the Verdugo tweet and being like, okay, but this better not be the replacement for not getting Soto. We didn't have to wait long. It was just the next day that the Yankees would announce that they acquired superstar outfielder Juan Soto, along with another outfielder in Trent Grisham with the San Diego Padres for take out the list. Michael King, Drew Thorpe, Johnny Brito, Randy Vasquez, and longtime Yankees catcher Kyle Higashioka, the home run Stroka. Um, man, I mean, that's a lot of pieces, but at the end of the day, you get one of the best players in baseball. I think it was Jose Trevino who said, we now have one of the best hitters in baseball with the best hitter in baseball. That sounds pretty good to me. Uh, man, but I think the Yankees are going to be missing Michael King, especially because he had such a great year. In fact, I kind of have this little conspiracy that the Yankees were refusing to make him a starter um, just until that they could wait until they could pawn him off like right before like that. So they could increase his value. I don't think that that's true. That's just like a little thing that I think, but um, Michael King is coming off a great year. Higashioka loved Yankee. Johnny Brito, Randy Vasquez made their appearances, but man, so does the Yankee. What do we think guys? I mean, yeah, all those pieces are upsetting to give up, but is it really when you're getting a player the caliber of Juan Soto? I don't think so at all. Listen, Juan Soto and the Yankees just felt like a perfect fit from the start of the offseason, and it just felt like it was always going to be these two sides working with each other and just really only being a matter of time before a deal came into place, and that's exactly what happened. Listen. The Yankees ranked bottom five in a lot of offensive categories last year, really except for home runs. They were bottom five in just about everything in Major League Baseball. So to pivot from that, Brian Cashman, who was caught in a lot of heat this offseason for comments he's made, I don't know. He kind of just redeemed himself with this move. You look at this lineup now. It's going to be... Aaron Judge and then Juan Soto back to back in that lineup in the two and three hole. Who's who's going to stop that? And you have Aaron Judge and Juan Soto who have both played a lot of games over the last couple of years. I know Judge missed with the toe injury this year, but that's kind of a freak accident. I don't know how concerning that is. And then you look at the off the outfield alignment now: Verdugo, Judge, Soto, left to right there's not a much better outfield than that in the majors and I credit Brian Cashman. I credit Hal Steinbrenner and credit everyone who needed to felt they needed to make this move possible. They realized the Padres were in a pinch with no leverage and they had to deal Soto. And honestly, I don't hate the pieces that they gave up. You're going to have to give up a lot to get Juan Soto, but I think the Yankees could have given up a lot more to be honest, and they didn't have to do it. So 
I'm thrilled, and I literally cannot wait for the season to start because Juan Soto in a Yankee uniform is going to be so fun, and I can't I, wait for it to happen. I think that's a good point because a lot of people were worried that as I, I think as soon as the Padres announced that they that it was pitching they were after and not like a Braza or a Volpe or something, I think Yankee fans sort of took a collective deep breath and been like, okay, I can see myself parting with a lot of these guys. So I think that's a good point. Nick, you were going to say something? I'm just picturing say it's the eighth inning really big game and it's judge and soda to lead off the eighth inning for the yankees all right so do you go the left you go the righty as as the opposing bullpen you don't neither way you don't win either way so you walk both of them to face anthony rizzo when you think about you know those two together back to back in the lineup i mean that's as scary as it gets in all of baseball right now and juan soto just the fact that even if he goes to a little bit of a slump. He still walks at like the highest rate in all of baseball. And he's going to get on base crazy either way. And when you consider that, even if that's just happening, and Aaron Judge can can come through with the power there as well. So I think when you think about, I think he's one of the most complete hitters in all of baseball. His patience irks some people because, you know, you think if he was to be a little more aggressive, maybe, I don't know what you would think, but when you look at the stats, but like he, he walks the most in all of baseball and it's just such an awesome piece for the Yankees to have, even though as, as a Mets guy myself, I I'm just excited to see those two back to back in a lineup together, because I think that's probably the most exciting one, two punch we've had in baseball in a very long time. And it doesn't get any better than that. The only thing that has you worried about this Soto deal is that he's might only be here for the short term. Yes. The Yankees, they they realize that they realize that he could walk after year one and that's it. But it shows that they're really going for 2024. They want to win this year. Like they, they can figure everything out later. And by the way, if you're going to try to sign Juan Soto, wouldn't you have kind of the upper hand now that he had a year to play for you guys? So that's possibly something, but Really, it shows after last year where they go win 82 games and have one of their worst seasons in the last 30 years, the Yankees are not messing around. And the top five in that lineup is just really crisp and smooth. And you're going to mix Glaber Torres in there. Hopefully Rizzo bounces back. Maybe Volpe takes a lot of strides in year two. I mean, there's a lot of optimism and excitement within the Yankee land and it was a move the Yankees had to make, and credit to them. They went out and did it despite all the risks involved, and they they didn't care. They went out, and they got the job done. And then December 9th, 2023, a day that will live oh, no. in infamy. He's ta- he's taking off the Yankee jersey he had on. He's the showing off Los the Los Angeles Dodgers. Please. Can you do that? Like, what if you were from Seattle and you went to school in Cleveland? Yeah, like, true. Is that, is that like? I just I don't know. You can re- Yankee, you can re- having you can both is like crazy. Guardians. It, it, it looks it looks it looks a lot worse that it's the Yankees and the yeah. Dodgers. I don't think it would bad enough if it was Seattle and Cleveland, but the fact that it's Yankees Dodgers. I don't know what to tell you guys because <laughs> on that day which I'm talking about, the Los Angeles Dodgers signed Shohei Otani to a historic 10-year, $700 million contract. 
he did it by posting on Instagram and I saw it uh, 45 seconds after he posted it. I didn't even follow Shohei Otani. It came up that fast in my recommended. Um, man, that uh, I, I texted my brother immediately, who's only a Dodgers fan. And he said, I'm crying in the library right now. He's, he's studying in law school. So he, he was literally sobbing. Um, this is just great news for Dodgers fans, especially the fact that he is deferring a lot of that money. In fact, he's getting paid $2 million a year for the first nine years of his contract and then getting the rest of it uh, at the end. That just allows the Dodgers to go after so many pieces while he remains on the team. Not to mention, and I'll just lump this in here with the Otani conversation, is uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who still we don't know where he's going. The Dodgers are in contention. The Yankees are very much in contention. Uh, people are thinking the Mets may be also in there, as well as the Giants. We will see. But guys, Otani is a Dodger. He's locked up for the next 10 years. And man, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Shohei Otani is your first three hitters in baseball. That's absolutely disgusting. You know, I didn't when, – when Shohei went down with Tommy John, I think that the number of like 700 I heard thrown around before that and – before he got injured. So I was thinking something maybe in like the 500, 600 mil range, but it was quickly apparent this offseason that that number was going to get higher and higher and higher. And, you know, why not? He's the best hitter in baseball, even you take away the pitching. And once he's fully recovered from Tommy John, he's worth that much money. He is. And you talk about, you know, the deferred payments and all that, and people have different opinions. But for the Dodgers, I mean – it makes sense to 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 set up the contract that way and, and it ensures that you have Shohei, you know, in that lineup immediately with Freddie Freeman and with Mookie Betts. And then once he comes back from Tommy John, it's just a whole another element that you can add to your pitching staff as well. I think there's not much to say about Shohei Otani that hasn't already been said. I mean, he's the greatest player on the planet right now. And it's a record-breaking contract. He's a record-breaking player. If there's anybody that deserves it, it's him. Um, and it's almost shaping up to be that there's the evil empire in the East and evil empire in the West. And Nick Palmer just happens to be fans of both of them. There's so much that's just so messed up with this contract that in a couple of years, like there's going to be a CBA agreement that prevents this from happening. Like, how can you pay Shohei Otani two million dollars a year so he's not taking up that much money on your books and you can build a great team around him and get away like there's soon there's gonna be a limit on how much money you can defer because this amount is insane not to mention that i saw the original contract and like my jaw dropped to the floor he's getting paid 70 million dollars a year 70 million and if you think about it Scherzer was, I believe, or Scherzer or Verlander, they were both initially the two highest AAV guys at 43. So you went from 43 to 70. But you look at the contract and the Dodgers, it's not just because he's a great player. It's the attraction that he is. And they're going to make so much money in advertising deals overseas to just by having Otani. The jersey sales are going to go through the roof. They're going to sell out like every single game because everyone wants to watch Shohei Otani. It's it's crazy. And he obviously isn't going to pitch in 2024. 
And even even then in 2025, when he is able to be a two-way player again, I don't know how compromised he's going to be because it'll be a second Tommy John surgery. But it was, excuse me, I guess a bidding a bidding war for Otani. The Blue Jays were involved. The Angels were in there trying to get him back. But I don't know how you're competing with $700 million And I don't know where the Dodgers are getting that money from. And I don't know if you saw the tweet from an executive where they were asked after that contract came out and he was pretty much like, yeah, we weren't at six ninety nine. So this contract just blew Otani out of the water. It was the high, the highest bid on the board by far. Otani and his team wanted to keep these negotiations as secret as possible. They certainly did because Shohei was able to just announce it on his own. I, I don't know if we're ever going to see anything like this again. So I guess we'll live in the moment and enjoy it while we can. But $700 million, I I actually, I, I heard a report from the Giants that said that they offered the same thing that the Dodgers did and that Otani just went I, for the Dodgers. I saw that they would have been like willing to do the same thing or maybe I'm reading that wrong, but it was, a, it was another like, oh, the Giants like missed out on another guy again, like that type of thing, right? Oh, uh, the, the one that I said said they offered him the exact same deal. Oh, well, whoops. However, however, we <laughs> uh, this is this is not confirmed. It's just what I've... Yeah, so, there's a there's a lot of like information that like just doesn't add up. There's a lot of like misinformation being put out there by baseball reporters like yeah. Morosi tweeting that oh he's on his way to Toronto, he's on a flight now. Oh my gosh. Flight to Canada. Like it's it's getting oh really bad, guys. Yeah. All right, well before we wrap this up, I guess I just want um uh, just give me a sentence or two on uh where you think Yamamoto is going and why. I think Yamamoto is going to be a Dodger. Like, I, I think I, Guzman's given me like a. No, you're right. I just hate it. I, right, exactly. I want to be met so bad. It, but you see that all these deferred payments to Otani, and they have a lot of room to pay other players. And you look at their pitching rotation as it stands right now, doesn't look very good. So Yamamoto kind of just fits that mold really well. And he's meeting with Freddie Freeman and Mookie. And now you have Shohei there already. It just feels perfect. Apparently, the Yankees are still the front runners, but I don't know how longer, much longer that's going to last. I think he's going to be in a Dodger blue in the last piece of the Dodgers just running away with this offseason. I want him so bad on the Mets. I know it probably won't happen, but... You know, the length of the contract, I, I've been seeing like 10 years, which I don't even think is that ridiculous because look at his, like, what he does as a pitcher. Yes, he's a power guy who throws hard, but he doesn't walk anybody at all. His control is like so insane. I think he had like, if I'm going to look at his baseball reference now, it's, it was 28 walks in 2022 in 164 innings pitch, which is just an absurd, that's absurd control. I think when you factor that in, he seems like a guy who's going to age pretty gracefully. So I think 10 years is totally manageable in terms of length of contract. The way the Dodgers set up the Otani contract, like you were saying, Brian, it seems like it's making sense. And with their staff looking a little bare, I think I'm going to say he's going to go to the Mets just to speak some positive affirmations in the air, but they're not a front runner. And I'm not really, you know, I don't really think it's going to happen, but well, let's there, there's a report today that they're like underdogs and they, they have a chance, right? I, 
I saw that on my Twitter today. So yeah, that was Andy Martino. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Martino Martino's a good source, though. Yeah, I, I trust everything that guy says. So who's who says who no? I don't say no. No, definitely not. Well, we'll see where Yamamoto ends up going. You know what? I'm going to disagree with you guys. I think he's going to be a Yankee Nightingale. In Nightingale, we trust. He uh, said that Yankees are the front runner, so I will believe him. Uh, but that's just me being a hopeful fan. And, hey, if he ends up going to the Dodgers, I don't think I would be too upset either. But that's going to do it for us here on Nosebleeds. This is a special little winter episode. This was our winter meetings of Nosebleeds. Yeah, yeah right. Come on. For Brian Rayback and Nick Guzman, I'm Nick Palmer. Obviously, editing was Kurt Sippel. Did a great job. Thank you, Kurt. And uh, Nosebleeds is a production of WFTV Sports. We will see you on our next episode whenever we see you.